Hare Krishna and happy Rama Navami to everyone. The appearance day, Lord Ramchandra. Um, and also we're going to do a Raghavatam class. Navami means the ninth, the ninth ordinal number in Sanskrit. And um, it's feminine, Navami, because it refers to Titi, a lunar day. So it's the ninth lunar day. And it's the appearance day of Lord Ramchandra. So let's go to the Bhagavatam and uh, in the first verse we're going to do today, which is um, verse one ten thirty. There is actually a connection to Ram Lila, as I'll try to show. So one ten thirty is Etaha. Well, first let's say Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate. Vasudevaya Eta Parang Streetam Apastapeshalam Nirasta Shocham Batasadukurvate Yasang Grihat Pushkaralochana Patir Najat Paitya Ritivir Radhisprashan so, Eta means these ladies. Uh, actually achieved Parang uh, Sritam, which means the highest womanhood, as Prabhupada translates it there. Prabhupada says, all these women auspiciously glorified their lives despite their being without independence or purity. Uh, so I'll explain what it means, that independence. Uh, it's talking about the 16,108 princesses who were actually kidnapped by Bomasura, the Asura, the demon. And so, uh, so their condition became apostapeshalam, which is the last word in the first line. Appa means away, asta means thrown or cast. And so discarded or cast away, apostapeshalam. So what does peshalam mean? Uh, interesting word. Prabhupada translates apostapeshalam as without independence. But uh, perhaps we can go to a, a more uh, literal definition of peshalam, uh, which in the Sanskrit dictionary means um, something which is beautiful, charming, lovely, or pleasant, soft, tender, delicate, uh, charm, grace, beauty, loveliness. So the idea here is that there were very strict principles in, in this ancient culture about chastity. And um, because women have babies, men don't do that. And so therefore women actually create or recreate society. If the whole point of this Vedic civilization is to establish a powerful self-realization culture and not to speak of protecting the innocent, uh, preserving justice, uh, providing prosperity, and so on. So 
governing society is very serious business. It affects the lives of, of everyone on the planet. And so since women regenerate society because all of the newer generations, they come through women and therefore protecting women um, was considered to be a very important thing because by protecting women, uh, society is being protected. And of course, this also means stopping men from doing bad things or inappropriate things and so on. So, but these strict rules were there. And if you look at, if you look at real history, not sort of uh, what Prabhupada calls uh, foolish utopianism, but if you look at how real human beings behave and you can't change it that much, how real people behave, what real society is like, uh, when you're talking about mass values or moral principles that are held by hundreds of millions of people, uh, it's like a huge battleship. You can't turn it very quickly. You can't, it doesn't always have a lot of agility. Societies in general have very little agility because most people are not that intelligent and most people can't deal with all kinds of exceptions and subtleties and uh, you know different circumstances and factors. Most people just think, okay, this is right and that's wrong. And we can imagine that it wouldn't it be nice, to quote the Beach Boys, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a society where the majority of people, like millions of people, had mental agility and they could learn that something's bad, but then when someone does the bad thing, but there are other circumstances. And so we have to be subtle. We've got to consider many different factors. Most people don't do that. And so you can, you know, talk about a society in which people have that level of mental agility to deal with basic moral principles, but you're on the wrong planet to be perfectly honest or it's just the reality of this world that most people they learn as children certain things are right certain things are wrong they can make some exceptions and they can understand in certain cases overriding circumstances there's not that much agility and so therefore you have this culture in which uh well to give an example uh, where uh, let's say the the tragic case of umba who was a kashi princess that and she was taken in her Swayamvara by Bhishma on behalf of his stepbrother, uh, Vichitravarya, but she was in love with a gentleman, actually not a gentleman, named Shalva. And so therefore Bhishma let her go to Shalva, but Shalva rejected her because she had stayed in the palace of his enemies or the Kurus, other men. And then when she came back, Bhishma wouldn't accept her. And it was just, it was a disaster. It was a tragedy and, and, and that should have been avoided, but wasn't. What I mean to say is that um, you have these rigid moral principles. And so by those rigid moral principles, uh, these 16,100 princesses were contaminated because they were taken away by Bomasura for, as Prabhupada says in one of the purports, he writes about this, for his carnal enjoyment to enjoy his gross body and so exactly what these women were subjected to 
And, you know, was he just waiting before he molested them? Had he already molested them? I don't know. This is not really uh, stated. But in any case, from the point of view of that rigid society, these women were, uh, you know, not really eligible anymore for marriage, but Krishna did marry them. And so here you have Krishna acting in what you could call a very liberal way, a very liberal way, and putting aside sort of some of the uh, sort of unthinking principles, recognizing these women are pure-hearted, these are great ladies, and therefore not caring. Krishna's saying, I don't care about these all these heavy customs of society, I'm going to marry them. And he did. And of course, actually, Krishna was monogamous, not polygamous, because every woman had their own Krishna. And so therefore, he actually had 16,108 monogamous relationships, if you want to be technical. So anyway, compare this in the case of Lord Rama, where Sita was criticized because like these girls, she had spent time with in under the uh in in captivity uh under ravana of course he didn't molest her but still she was under his control otherwise and therefore ultimately she was sent away which is probably one of the most unpopular incidents in all of our literature no one seems to be happy with that but still that's what happened so um Here you have Krishna, and in the case of Amba, where she was rejected. But here, Krishna, acting independently, accepts these women, marries them, and uh, recognizes them as great souls. So, Eta Parang Sritam Apastapeshalam, even though they were Apastapeshalam, Nirasta Shocham, their purity had been lost, Nirasta Shocham, but the, still, uh, still they were able to achieve an exalted position. So, and, and Krishna, Yasam Grihat, from whose home, in other words, the homes of all these ladies. Yasam Grihat, from whose home, they each had their own residence. Whoops. I was actually going to put on a nicer shirt for this program, but uh, sorry about that. I forgot to do that. So here I am, you know, Sunday morning slob. So Yasang Grihat, Pushkaralochana. So Pushkaralochana, Krishna, the lotus side Krishna, Patir, who was their husband, Najato Paiti, never left them, and by offering them different gifts and different kindness, he was touching their hearts. So here, uh, excuse me one second. There, that wasn't painful, was it? It's a little warm in here, so again, sorry. Didn't, uh... <laughs> these are my kind of morning walking clothes. So, so that's Krishna. So you have Krishna really, I mean, Krishna in many ways establishes that he's Swayam Bhagavan. He's, he's even among the different manifestations of the Godhead, even among Krishna's different expansions, Krishna's very special. He does what even other forms of the Lord don't do. 
because he is supremely, or Krishna chooses to display supreme independence in his original form as Krishna. So sadhu kurvate, sadhu kurvate means they made it all right. These women made it all right by their devotion to Krishna and by his acceptance of them and Krishna never left them. So that's that verse. And I did mention Lord Rama, whom I will mention a little more later. So the next verse is, evam bhidha gadanti nang sagirak pura joshitang uh, so remember the context here is that Krishna is leaving Hastinapur after the battle of Kurukshetra and then the aftermath with uh, crazy Ashwatthama and uh, the funeral rites and then after the funeral Krishna stayed with his dear devotees through their grieving process because this had been such a, an apocalyptic war. And so finally he's leaving and uh, Kunti offered her prayers when Krishna was leaving. We've had Kunti's prayers. And now, evam vidha gadanti nang sagira pura jositam. So thus, as uh, the women were speaking, Gita were making statements or saying things in this way, evam vidha gira pura jositam. And uh, Krishna, so grammatically, the the subject of this Sanskrit sentence, 11031, is Hari, Hari, Krishna. So Hari, nirikshanena, uh, by his, Prabhupada says, by his grace of glancing over them. So nirikshana, ikshana means a glance, and nirikshana means like glancing over someone. So Krishna was was casting his gaze upon them, glancing over them, and by doing that, abhinandan, he was welcoming their statements, he was approving their statements, he was celebrating their statements. Anand, an abhinandan, the actual verbal root is nand, from which you get the word ananda, and Nanda, Nanda, Nandana. And so all these words, Nanda, Nandana, Ananda, they all have to do with pleasure. It's all about pleasure. So Abhinandan, Krishna was celebrating uh, the words of the city ladies, Pura Joshita means of the city ladies who were uh, Gadantinam, who were conversing, speaking, Evam Bidangirak, all these different statements that we've just heard. So Krishna welcomed, celebrated, accepted uh, their statements simply by glancing over them. And then sasmitena yoyohari. And that glance, nirikshanena, was also sa, sa means with here. Smitena, smita is smile. That's where we get the English word smile. Smita or smaya. So sasmitena, the nirikshana, the glancing over, was a smiling glance. He was glancing over them with, with the happy smile, pleased with their statements, honoring their statements. And then Yayo Hari, and then Hari departed. Hari left, the Lord left. So that's that verse there. We'll do one more, then talk a little more about Lord Ramchandra. So the next verse is Ajata Shatru Pratanam Gopi Thaya Madhudvishak 
So Ajata Shatru, Yudhisthir, whose Shatru, whose enemy, Ajata, was never born. In other words, people thought that some people thought they were his enemy or that he was their enemy, but he never saw anyone as his enemy. Ajata means not born. Ajata Shatru, his enemy. And so Pritanang Gopitai, so Gopitai, in order to protect or for the protection of Madhudwit, the enemy of Madhu, Krishna, for the protection of Krishna, uh, Prayunta, he engaged uh, Pritanam, a defensive force, which was Chatur Anginin, a fourfold defensive force, which means uh, war elephants, cavalry, infantry, and uh, charioteers. So that's called uh, Chaturangini, fourfold military force. He engaged that uh, Gopitaya for the protection, Madhudvisha, of Krishna, the enemy of Madhu, because Shankita, Yudhisthira, was worried, Parebhya, about enemies, possible enemies on the road. And this worry was not actually, you could say, completely rational, but snehat, it was because of affection. When you really love somebody, sometimes you worry too much. And so that was Yudhisthira is worried about Krishna, snehat, because of his deep affection for Krishna. And therefore, for Krishna's protection, Gopitaya, he engages this fourfold military force. So that's what that verse literally means. Prabhupada translates it, Maharaj Yudhisthira, although no one's enemy, engaged four divisions of defense, horse, elephant, chariot, and army to accompany Lord Krishna, the enemy of the Asuras. The Maharaj did this because of the enemies and also out of affection for the Lord. So um, today is Ram Navami, which I guess in Hindi, Navami is some, is, has been shortened to Nomi, Ram Nomi. Nomi is just sort of a corrupted, simplified Hindi form of Navami, Sanskrit word Navami. Uh, just as, uh, what's that called? Uh, Diwali is just a sort of a Hindi corrupted form of Deepavali. Deepa means lamp, Avali means a robe. So because the city of Ayodhya was decorated with beautiful rows of lamps every year, when Ramchandra came back. So it was called Deepavali, which in Hindi they shortened to Diwali. Similarly, uh, Rama Navami has became Ram Nomi. That's where these words come from. So um, Lord Rama, interestingly, in the when the Bhagavatam, first canto, third chapter, describes Rama's avatara's descent, um, it says about him that um, Naradeva Twam Apanak, that he took on Naradeva Twam, the position of a man god, Naradeva, man god. So, man god, Naradeva in Sanskrit means the king. This is divine right monarchy. The king is seen as a representative of God. And therefore, somehow, just like when a pure devotee or a guru 
is present, then it's understood that somehow God is present in the form of that person. So because God is supposed to be present in the form of a legitimate king, therefore the king is called Naradeva. So Naradeva Twam, Twam here means the status of, so position of Naradeva Twam Apanap. He took on that position and Ramchandra is one of the most human uh, of the avatars, not in the sense that he's actually human, but in the sense of most, the one of the avatars that most acts like a human being. Of course, when there was need, he did superhuman things like making huge boulders float on the ocean to, so, to, to uh, build a bridge to Lanka, killing different demons and so on, killing Ravana. So Ramchandra did exhibit superhuman actions, but in many of his activities, he did act like a human being. Uh, in fact, the Bhagavatam says in the first, actually the first chapter of the Bhagavatam, that um, that Krishna comes, Kritavan, Kritavan kila karmani saharamena keshava atimartyani bhagavan gudha kapatamanusha. That the Lord appeared with his with Balaram, Krishna appeared with Balaram, and Kritavan kila karmani, he performed actions which are atimartyani, literally superhuman. Uh, and yet, a lot of the time, he was Gouda, concealed Kapata Manusha, pretending to be a human being. So Ramchandra also did this, and uh, he showed, as we know, Krishna, in Krishna's descent, Krishna was a prince, but not a king, because of the curse on the Yadu dynasty. And so if you think about it, of course, Lord Chaitanya appeared as a Brahmin. So it's really Rama, who stands out as the ideal king of human society. And uh, there's also Prithu, but Prithu, we don't really have a, a whole big book about his life. We, we hear about Prithu in a few chapters of the Bhagavatam, but in the case of uh, Lord Rama, we have a, a, a big book, because roughly the size of the Bhagavatam, simply about his life. So. So Rama really is the only avatar of Krishna in this world for which, for whom we have a, a complete life story, a complete life history. And therefore it's natural that Rama became the symbol of the perfect king because he's the only avatar for whom we have a complete story of his life as a, as a perfect king. So that's Lord Rama. And uh, let me see if there are any questions today. Still the same low price. So let's see, comments. Um, so I guess you all know the drill to put in the question marks. What would be your advice to devotees well-practiced in devotion in regards to this topic? And how should ISKCON be dealing with these confidential matters? It appears in some circles to be pronounced. I'm not sure what exactly, oh, maybe, oh, okay, it's your previous note. Fools rush in where angels dare fear to tread. 
As Srila Prabhupada's godbrother once said, hold such worship high above one's head at the same time by understanding the origins of romantic love is important. Advice to devotees is just to remember the obvious that Krishna is far, far, far beyond us and we should not try to imitate Krishna because as Shukadeva says, just like Lord Shiva drank the ocean of poison, so if you can drink the ocean of poison, then you can imitate Krishna, but who's going to do that? So the advice is just don't be a fool, basically. Uh, let's see. Don't see other questions. Thank you all for your comments. Just looking for the question marks. Oh, here's one. In Bhagavad Gita 140, Arjuna talks about Sri Shudushtasu, how the population of womanhood is a huge social. No, he doesn't say women are a huge social problem. He, uh, Krishna, Arjuna says that uh, when women become polluted, bad things happen. He doesn't say that women in general are a big social problem. How are we to understand this concept in contemporary society in which many families are headed by solo mothers? There's a lot of remarriage, etc. Rough age, Kali Yuga. I would say that all of us, you know, we're, we're in this very weird difficult age and we just have to do our very best that's all we can do do our very best and uh it's a very difficult age that's why lord chaitanya is so merciful in this age because it's so crazy and it's so difficult so we just do our best Someone wrote, the Lord has the obligation to descend. Well, we shouldn't talk about Krishna's obligations. Krishna is a very nice person. And so he does come and he, he has descended and he has intervened. And it's called the Hare Krishna movement with all of its uh, imperfections, which we're very much aware of. But still, uh, we just have to try to serve Prabhupada's mission. And that's the way to transcend this very difficult age. How should we understand the situation these days about women, kidnappings, abuse, and so forth? Of course, there are cases with children too. It's demonic. Kidnapping women, abusing women, it's demonic. It's because of the demonic influence of this age. So we just do our best to establish the real principles of civilized society. How can I pray to Krishna when uh, important material problems exist without falling into the material platform? Uh, we have a process called bhakti yoga. We practice it. And this world is very difficult for all of us. It's a very crazy age. 
And it's just, yeah, I mean, the world's basically insane. And we're somehow trying to deal with all this. And so we just take shelter of Krishna. We fervently chant his holy names. We practice bhakti yoga and do the best we can. What else can we do? Oh, Jaigori, could you speak on the curse that prevented Krishna becoming a king? That curse took place a long time before. That was the case of Yayati, which is described in the Bhagavatam, also described in detail in the Mahabharata, where um, he was cursed by Shukra because he married Shukra's daughter, um, Devyani. But then he also married without Shukra's blessing, Devyani's assistant, who was the daughter of the king of the Asuras named Sharmista. And then uh, Devyani, then Sharmista offended Devyani and she was, she was uh, highly offended by this. And she went to complain to her father. This is all in the Bhagavatam. And her father was so angry that uh, Yayati had not been faithful to his daughter that he cursed Yayati and took away his youth and made him old. So Yayati was lamenting that unless I have my youth, unless I go through, so to speak, material enjoyment within Vedic culture, how will I ever get liberation? So he asked all of his sons to take his old age so that he could have his youth back and kind of work through his desires. And he said, then at the end, I'll give you back your youth. But so the sons didn't want to do it, including uh, Yadu. Yadu was one of his sons. Yadu said, sorry, dad, it's too heavy for me. So then uh, Yadu cursed Yadu saying that your sons will not be kings. They will just be princes, but they won't actually be kings. So that was the curse on the Yadu dynasty. The one son who did accept the father's old age was Puru, and therefore uh, the uh, the uh, Kurus are also known as Pauravas. So, um, whoops. Today is a new moon. How is it Ram Navami? Oh, it's not today. Okay, I was informed. I won't tell you who told me that. I won't get them in trouble. But someone who's supposed to know these things told me that it was Ram Navami. Thank you, Alaksha. It's not. But it's never a mistake to glorify Lord Ram Chandra, although it was a mistake to declare that today is Ram Navami. So uh, anyway, the person who told me that, that person knows who they are. <laughs> They have to live with that for the rest of their life. Okay. Yes, uh, Ram Navami is on April 21st. So sorry about that. Please don't sue me. Uh, yeah, in, in Vaishnav culture, you're not supposed to sue someone for that. So uh, from Bhakti Vinod in Scotland, how do you explain Bhagavad Gita? 9.30, you mentioned the right and wrong people don't think. Well, we need a 9.30, what's that? Uh, I guess none of you can shout loud enough for me to hear you. Is that the verse, Mangi Parthi Apashat? Yeah. Oh, 
know, 930 is even if one commits the most abominable sin. Actually, literally it says, even if one is very badly behaved, even if one's behavior is very bad. That's literally what it says. If one worships me with no other shelter than me, I'll tell you that person's to, to be considered saintly because they are rightly determined. So this is not talking about people who are going their merry way, committing sins. This verse is talking about people who did something very bad, but then repented and completely took shelter of Krishna and are completely devoted to Krishna. That's what this verse is about. Devadharna, single mother, was given up her family in her senior years. Is she a Vanaprastha? Um, well, to give up her family, uh, in the sense perhaps of not living at home, yes, a woman can be a Vanaprastha. A woman can become a pure devotee of Krishna. If a woman wants to dedicate her life to Krishna, then she can become advanced and uh, and save the world. Everyone, it's open for everyone to become a great devotee of the Lord. So, uh, Shamasundradas in the UK, what would a Krishna West Harinam on the street look like? Basically, Homo sapiens, humans uh, dressed in, you know, respectfully, respectively, and chanting Hare Krishna. I think it would look like that. Making beautiful music and chanting Hare Krishna. Uh, let's see. Can we do anything against the demons we are trying, we see trying to take power near us? Yeah, we can spread the Sankirtan movement. I don't, there's no other way except spreading the Sankirtan movement. Otherwise, you know, what, what can we do? Okay, is that it? I didn't miss any questions. Oh, let's see. A few other questions came in on another platform. Uh, can you please speak on Prabhupada's purport words, you know, about women merchants and laborers are not very intelligent? Uh, I would say it depends. It depends. Uh, of course, Krishna says, Mangi Partha JPC Papa So Krishna mentions these three groups, women merchants and uh, sudras, in the Bhagavad Gita, and he says there that actually they can achieve the highest perfection. In other words, they can achieve the highest intelligence. So this is a material topic. I wrote a paper, which you can find on hdgoswami.com, and uh, it's called Understanding Sridhar Prabhupada, in which Sridhar Prabhupada himself personally teaches, emphasizes, insists that he is not infallible on material topics, and to think he is, Prabhupada says is ludicrous. Those are Prabhupada's words. Ludicrous, which means comically absurd. So the issue of gender intelligence or merchants, business people, laborers, how intelligent they are, what kind of intelligence they are. This is the kind of thing that can be very efficiently and accurately measured today in social science, neurology. 
And so I suggest, I mean, it is a fact that, I mean, my experience is that nowadays it's very hard to find anyone, a man or a woman that actually, with whom you can have a serious philosophical discussion. But in any case, um, I think in an area which can be authentically, efficiently studied by science, we should study the science to find out what's up. So why are women considered less intelligent or more materialistic? Is that in Shastra or scientific? Boy, this has been asked many, many times, like several hundred. And I've spoken a lot about this. I would refer you to the many, 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 many times that I've already spoken about this. It's basically what I just said. Uh, I judge people personally, individually. If I meet someone, man, woman, Martian, Saturnian, Jupiterian, you know, when I meet people, I just accept them for what they are. If I meet a woman and she's intelligent, which happens actually not rarely. I mean, I've met many women who strike me as very intelligent. I accept them as intelligent because, because they are. And if I find a man who's stupid or, and God, we know how many there are those. If we find a man or a woman who's unintelligent, then that's what they are. So I don't, I try not to judge people by gender, by race, by this, by that, everyone I meet, I just see who this per, who is this person and you know, that's who they are. They are who they are. And I try not to judge them before I know them. I mean, inevitably I have to make judgments. For example, if I go to a dentist and I think, my God, this person really doesn't know what they're doing, then I don't wanna risk myself. I mean, how can you live in this world unless you make judgments? who you should trust, who you shouldn't trust, who's a proper doctor, who's a good lawyer, who's who should be your friend. I mean, the idea that you shouldn't judge is absurd because if you didn't make any judgments, what, what are you gonna do? Just everyone is your friend or you know, everyone that asks you for money, you give it to them. I mean, how can you not make judgments? So um, I prefer just to take people as they are without, uh, prejudging them based on the kind of body they have. So thank you all very much. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, hope I didn't get myself in too much trouble in this class. Oh, someone wrote, uh, this is interesting. Women are considered less intelligent than men because they're easily cheated by men. Well, some women are and some women are not. And some men are easily cheated by women. I mean, Paul McCartney, the singer, he married this lady in good faith and then she divorced him and took half his money, which he really didn't like. So, you know, I mean, so, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for doing nothing. And so um, in this world, sometimes men cheat women and sometimes women cheat men and sometimes they actually behave properly with each other. Uh, so some of these questions are not really at all on the topic. So perhaps in the class, I will, you know, if you have a question that's not on the topic, the class, perhaps, you know, we could deal with that privately or something.
Okay, so I think that's it, right? Thank you all very much and hope you'll be back so I don't get lonely in my next class. Hare Krishna. <laughs>